I mean, my thing with KGRG, when, when Tom, the teacher of the program, uh, the first day of the first class I ever had, he said something to the effect of, you will never think of the music industry and radio the same ever again after this class. And I don't think a teacher has ever said something more true in all of my, you know, my life. And it's true. I, as somebody who has been working in the music industry for over a couple of decades now, uh, motherfucker, he really called it. And it's, it was really <laughs> eye-opening. And it's true. We talked about, we, you can romanticize what terrestrial radio was back then, but it was like the Wild West. And like, it was a bunch of kids like losing their goddamn minds. And, uh, I E A. F-O-U-N-E-A-I-N This is the Idea Fountain. Life-changing conversations. So KGRG is a college radio station at Green River Community College in Auburn, a suburb that's about 20 miles south of Seattle. In the 90s, the studio was in a small trailer located on campus which was in the middle of a forest, almost like a summer camp cabin, infiltrated by squirrels and other wildlife. KGRG broadcasted today's rock from Everett to Olympia and all places in between. Most college stations, especially at the community college level, have a weak signal or on cable. KGRG had their 250 watts, but also simulcasted on two other college radio station signals and had a reach that could rival any commercial radio station in town. The heritage rock stations like KISW and 107.7 N monitored the station for records on the rise. As the world was watching the Seattle music scene, KGRG started many bands, had legendary benefit concerts on campus and got worldwide recognition from industry trades like CMJ and Gavin. I started DJing there when I was 15 because I heard if you signed up for the summer broadcasting program, you could be on the radio. I'll never forget visiting the station for the first time and meeting the godfather of KGRG, Mr. John Shear, while he was hosting the Alternative Past. He told me that new DJs always start in the overnights, but I was so young that if I took the class, he would let me practice reading the concert calendar on air during business hours. That began a journey for me that lasted through middle school, high school, and some college. When I went back to finish my degree in 2018, they looked at my transcripts and said, why do you have 26 Radiolab credits? <laughs> KGRG introduced me to my best friends in the world. Uh, is the fabric of who I am, created the foundation of my career in radio as an, and as a champion for artists. It was there I first heard the bands from Bikini Kill to Bratmobile, Mudhoney to MXPX and Modest Mouse. Local bands like The Gits and Goodness uh, were at the heart of everything we did and I am still salty that when I wasn't 18, the entire radio station got tickets to MTV's New Year's Eve concert with Nirvana and I couldn't go. Today you can find KGRG on iHeartRadio and as one of the featured broadcast stations on Apple Music. Sadly, a couple weeks ago on the KGRG alumni page, former DJ and creator of Girl Squad, Linda Harrison, posted that the heart and soul of KGRG, John Shear, the godfather, had left the building. He unexpectedly passed away and we are all gutted. I hate crying. <laughs> Today, in honor of John, we're going to have a mini reunion and the opportunity <laughs> to shine a spotlight on local 
community and being passionate about music at KGRG. Okay, first, <laughs> I'm going to introduce some KGRG alumni. Um, I would love you to introduce yourself and um, what city you're in. And instead of saying like what years you worked at KGRG, why don't you say your favorite local band while you work there? Okay, <laughs> let's start. Okay, I'm going to start with Alicia. Who might be the oldest? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Julie. I'm Alicia Lindsay Dietrich, formerly Alicia of the Lindsay Sisters. And um, I don't even remember what year it was I started working at the radio station. I actually went there to join the newspaper, and the newspaper was so stupid that I was like, oh, well, the, the radio station's kind of cool, and they're like right in the same cabin um, or dumpster or whatever that was that we were in initially. That was so horrifying um, and dirty and ugh. Anyway, it was magical somehow, and that's when I started working at the radio station. And of course, my favorite band while we were there was Seven Year Bitch. I think I saw every show that they ever did from the time I was old enough to go to any any bar and see them play. So I still love them a lot. <laughs> they have Do you hear set. that, Celine? I want to interview Celine for uh, <laughs> the Idea Fountain so bad. Um, okay, well, right next to you is your sister, Alyssa. <laughs> I, I I don't remember the years either. <laughs> I have some sometime in the nineties. I'm pretty sure it was the early nineties. Um, like yeah, that's pretty much all I all I remember or all I you know have got as far as time frames are concerned. Um, and I'm gonna say, I don't know. I had such a so many different bands that were so good, but I think still probably my favorite was Pearl Jam at that time. And then I'm still following them around to a point. So you know, <laughs> she still likes the old man rock. Yeah. Okay, let's go over to you, Tobias. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Tobias Jag. I was a DJ also in the 1900s. <laughs> my uh, favorite bands at KGRG Locals, I, between the Gits and MXPX, I know that's a thing that I'm sure Julie can extrapolate on this further, but that's a band that really came up with uh, KGRG. We did their shows early on, and I'm still, like, personal mm -hmm. f oh, shit. I died. I, did, did I? You're good. Did I, Okay. Uh, MXPX, um, yeah, years later, we're still personal friends with them, and they're still kind of kicking it and, and proving to the world that bands that came up, uh, even the non-grunge bands, uh, are still relevant and doing shit. Um, I got turned on through KJRG, kind of like Julie did, with just being a little turd in the sticks and uh, having like different music and being exposed to different arts and ideas. And I was fascinated by it. I think it started in, in sixth grade and I listened to John and the other the other alternative shows were like Grunge Fest. Um, and it was dope. And I mean, I've had a career in the music biz for 25 years and it's uh, I'm grateful for that, for those guys. Yeah, tell everybody what your label is. Yeah, I have a label called Red Scare. It's a mostly punk label. I've uh, been around for about 20 years, got like 50 bands. I'm also a booking agent, which is really weird. Um, they're kind of like the enemies of of everybody, the booking agents. I represent a few bands. Um, strangely enough, uh, related to KGRG, I hosted a TV show in Chicago, and I got two Emmy nominations, uh, which is very strange, and I deservedly did not get them. So I want to put that out there. Didn't I think we lost to a show about, uh, about sausages. So... <laughs> Well, a celebrated broadcaster. Um, I, I'll take it down to somebody else who extended their broadcasting career post KGRG, Emily. 
Hey, I am in San Diego now and I've been doing a morning show for 21 years here, but it all started back at KGRG and I would crash with Julie when I was in junior high, her girl squad. And then later I enrolled and got to do all request Fridays. I remember um, being young and being so nervous, being around these older, cooler kids that I would write out bullet points for every break because I would just be too nervous if someone was in the station while I was there. And one time I left my notebook there and the people doing the morning show found it and read all my breaks, like mocking it. And at the time I was horrified, but now I think it's hilarious radio. So uh, that's one of my KGRG memories. As for bands, MXPX was the first benefit show that I worked at. And first time I ever went in a mosh pit, last time I think too. And then the other band that I still feel like I have a tie to, um, they weren't a local band, but it was the Rugburns. And we would play. <laughs> Dick's Automotive was the bathroom song. Yep, exactly. If it, before so computers, uh-huh. if you needed to go to the bathroom on the other side of the student center, you needed a seven minute song. And so it was the Rugburns, <laughs> Dick's Automotives. And how do you still have ties to them? Because one, their main singer, Steve Poltz, has been a regular guest on our morning show, and he is just a crazy genius. So if you ever get a chance to see Steve Poltz, who does solo touring now, he is awesome. But um, when he came in studio for first time, he's like, I used to be in this band called The Rugburns. I'm like, Dick's out about him. So I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom because of you. It's like, what? <laughs> I always thought that was Blue Monday that we used to go to the bathroom, but okay. <laughs> Okay, and Linda Harrison. Okay, I had to get off mute. So (laughs) I didn't go to KGRG um, or Green River because of um, anything else but KGRG. I was first introduced to the alternative past, which was Johnny's show, uh, probably in 1989, 1990, because my brother would listen to it, and it just you know, blew my mind. I think I was about 14 years old at the time. And so when I was about 15, I was listening to this show. Oh gosh, I can't remember the name, but it was hosted by Zach Hoppenrath. It was the garage band show. And uh, he played the Sonics, which is an old local band. Uh, Johnny and I would talk about it. He says they're from Bremerton. I think they're from Tacoma. They were known from being to from Tacoma. Um, but that just blew my mind. And um, from there, I got to be friends with Zach. And um, I would listen to Bikini Kill will always be my favorite local band, but I got into Gashoffer. Um, there was also Seaweed. There's all of these really uh, innovative bands that came out that um we're all unique in a way. And at that time, the most of the music was like, um, gosh, that well, in my area, it was kind of like butt rock, which is fine. In, you know, but this stuff was just so totally different. And um, I got really into the female bands because I've always been interested in women who have... Um, this immense creativity and artistic skill that's really not recognized except in the form of reproduction, you know, oh, you can, you know, make uh, a human being, which I'm not, that's nothing wrong with that, but we're more than that. 
and our voices needed to be heard. And there were all of these local women, but a history of immensely genius women like Kate Bush. And we, they weren't getting much airplay. And, um, you know, when I, I got to know Johnny really well, and he was like, yeah, you can, you can do a show. And so uh, we made it Girl Squad and Alicia and Alyssa had uh, these friends. Was it Swelter? Was that the, the band? I don't friends know. now husband. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> congratulations. But oh, they, have the <laughs> they helped with the intro and. Um, I forgot that. Yeah, I don't. I, I forgot that about the intro. You know, my dad listened to every single show and taped it. And I think he might have taped it, some of Johnny's shows, too. Oh, that um, I'm looking for that. And also, uh, I got to be kind of friends with Terry Kelly. And I don't know if you guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he did sort of the um, the trance uh, electronic mm -hmm. um, music that you would listen to at raves. And he would mostly be high. But his show was after mine. And we just kind of hang out. And he and Johnny the fixture they were the two you know smaller terry kelly big johnny smoking out in the front and just <laughs> watching that trailer it was just such um i was terrified of it when first time i went there first time i went there I was about 16 and uh it was to interview zach for my school paper and wait linda will you describe the trailer more for, yeah. so just put a visual in people's minds, the, yeah. the trailer that KGRG originally broadcasted from, which, yeah. by the way, one time while I was in high school, the police came and joined me and I got on lockdown in the trailer because there was a convict running through the woods of Auburn and I had to stay in the trailer for like, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that. Oh yeah, and then the, the 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 fact that it was in the middle of the forest. Sometimes we would have windstorms, and then um, the electrical lines would fall, and we'd be out of power, and we'd be off air, and it was a lot. It was a lot of. Um, well, sorry, I'm getting off camera. Um, but yeah. describe the trailer. Anybody oh, okay. else can jump in too. Okay, it was um, like one of those temporary trailers that a lot of uh, schools put on while they're trying to do some constructions to, to make their school bigger. And it just never, we just never had a building that was actually um, made. It was, well, I guess eventually by the time I left, we had that brand new building. I think it was two of them wide, wasn't it? Like, cause I remember was, the journalism room was on the other side. Yeah, it was a double wide. Yeah. And um, yeah, it really just, <laughs> the, um, the carpet was there so long and it was so stained and it was, it used to be a shag carpet, but then it was matted and it was covered. It was like, originally, I think it was probably originally beige, but it turns into dark brown and you could see uh, coffee stains. I think there were some vomit stains because people would get really drunk. And there was an old couch in there that had pretty much no springs on one side yeah. and we Everybody, that's where we'd hang out on, on that couch and watch people walk by. And we yeah. would just, you know, depending upon when our shift was, we would just wait for our shifts and sit on that couch and just watch people walk by. And then we'd have, we'd just be dumb. And that there was that newspaper uh, portion we of awesome. it. Yeah, we were, I think, Lynn, Alicia, 
you and I were also on the paper, I think. Um, oh, okay. Because Carrie Williams was, I don't know, maybe not. Um, yeah. Toby, were you ever in the trailer? No, I, I, I was a diva with the rest of the, the next generation who were. Oh, fancy, you know, fancy place. Yeah. Next generation. Yeah. And I, know, I know Emily was too. So it, wait, yeah. Linda, I want to go back and give you credit because after John passed, um, you said something that was really powerful about the community. And um, I'm going to read this quote. You said, um, while we were at KGRG, everyone had their shit going on. Each of us at the station at that time was so fucking awkward and authentic and different. We were all connected in a way that we were weird and couldn't be lumped in with anyone else. That's how we bonded. We argued about music, about taste and what moved us. But at the end of the day, we were family. As we get older, we get trapped into our expectations of reality. We bend into what the world presents to us. We forget that we tell them who we are and not the other way around. We forget that we love on our own. We forget how powerful we are. I'm curious, do you think, and this is for everybody, it was our age that made us, made the whole situation magic? Like if you're between 16 and 22 and going through a self-discovery phase, no matter where you are, whether it's KGRG, a skate park, or playing video games, do you think that time in your life is just magic? Or do you think KGRG was the magic? Definitely KGRG. I, I mean, everybody goes through that stage like you said but not everybody comes out with such strong connections and such strong admiration for everybody there like if I think about that time in high school there are so many people that I didn't respect and that's exactly why I wanted to get away from that middle school too um that's why I wanted to be at KGRG because I knew that's where the magic was and I knew we could make a difference there and we did we really did and she's so right we all really did have our very different like opinions about things and um you know like specific artists that we loved so fanatically but it was okay you I know remember fighting with Alyssa about Pearl Jam I, re I remember like yeah we still give her crap about that it's cool yeah <laughs> I mean I just but that's the thing I respect it like she had totally legit reasons and you know, but it was just fun to rouse each other we just liked you know, we all had similar senses of humor, which was huge. And we just, um, it was our, our time to be just free and stupid. And care for each other. We did care for each yeah. other. Totally. You know, we yeah, did we care were, for each we other. We were like a weird little family. <laughs> which, are, which are usually the best kind of families, yeah, right? The weird little ones. Right. And when we got mad at each other, we got so mad. We would just get like, but then it would pass. Like real families do, right? Yeah. I think there Maybe. was a lot of passion there. Yeah. Toby, I know you're going to have to jump off. I yeah. have a question for you. The well, quick, concert, quick, I want to say, I, I think it's a little, I like the, I agree with that everybody said, I think it's a little bit of everything. First of all, geographically, uh, the Northwest was a thing that was, we all know was something special in the water at the time. <laughs> Our ages, sure. But also the nineties were also another period. And maybe we've, uh, given ourselves too much credit because we were there at the time and young, but like there was weird shit happening. I mean, KNDD was the first ever alternative station that was number one in a major market. You know, that shit, I don't know if that's happened. It didn't happen. It was the first time it's ever happened. I'm not sure it's ever happened since. Um, so that whole spirit of the underground kind of thing was happening. And that's what I remember most about KGRG and everyone talking about how like there's some real, whether it's the shows that, uh, you know, lifted up uh, female musicians and all that kind of everything. Um, 
that's sort of, it was like a culmination of all that kind of stuff. And I love that kind of bandit spirit that KGRG had. Um, but yeah, that, that's my opinion on like why it happened. Just the whole, like the, the culmination and the synergy of it all. But you had a question, Julie, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to, uh, I know you have to bounce, and I was going to ask you, um, when it comes to the benefit concerts that KGRG had, uh, we made our own flyers, yeah. laminated and designed the backstage passes, the <laughs> Lindsay's would make Rice Krispie treats for the bands in the green room, we Getty. sold the tickets, hosted it, even would like build a freaking wall with wood, hammer, and nails, so kids in the pit didn't get too out of control. The station had Nirvana, Presidents of the United States, Death Cab for Cutie, Fastbacks, MXPX, Modest Mouse, so many amazing shows. I actually have a story about the very first benefit concert there. Okay, I wanna, oh, I wanna hear it, but I wanna okay. ask Toby, yeah. did that DIY mentality and skill set of doing everything impact your career yeah. or life? Yeah, of, uh, of course. I mean, that was, the mo that was like the punkest thing I've ever been exposed to. People don't understand when I try and explain like how I got turned on to music. We didn't have the internet then. Mm -hmm. I actually didn't know that the, that there was. I didn't know that punk music existed. I knew the Ramones were from the '70s, but in the '90s, if you lived in Enumclaw, Washington, or Kirkland, or whatever, you have no idea that these things exist until you heard it through, uh, you know, 89.9 FM. So uh, that's how I got exposed to punk rock. And of course you see it in that, um, in the super indie, like DIY spirit that they had at KGRG, literally building the shows. And, and uh, I mean, running those shows, cause there was like over a thousand people. I book shows now that is not easy. And certainly a bunch of teenagers should not be uh, presiding over this. I mean, no circumstances. the money, the safety. I mean, there's the fact that it's a, it's a public facility, like, all that shit just couldn't happen, and it's totally dope, and I'm glad it did. And I hope somewhere somebody is doing some shit that's also uh, vaguely unlawful and all that kind of shit. Um, and you're right, I do have to go. But I, I want to leave. I have so many questions, and I wish I had, like, hours, because I want to know, like, what happened to the Christian show? Uh, where is Insane Wayne? And uh, like, why won't KGRG ever play any of my fucking bands on the radio? Like, throw me a bone here, man. I fucking, I, I work for this goddamn station. I get no love. I email everybody like, who the fuck is this guy? I don't know. Go back to Chicago, dude. So that's all I got. All I got for you is Insane Wayne is on Facebook. I'll send you his profile. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. But I'm sorry to keep interrupting. You guys are the best. Uh, KGRG is super special to me. And I, I truly wouldn't be here doing working in music. It wasn't for all y'all. Um, but I, I want to hear how this ends up and uh, carry on and, and uh, you know, break some legs and showbiz and all that shit. All right. <laughs> so, Linda, you were talking about the very first benefit concert ever. It's funny. This was like one of the last conversations John and I had, but you will tell the story far better than me. Were you working at the station at the time or you just know the story? Um, I, it was right before I got there and I'm wondering if it's the same story. So this is the story that I, I'm, I know of because it, there's so many stories, right? <laughs> so, um, this is when John Ramsey was the, um, the instructor there and he was the one who really brought Johnny out. He saw the potential in Johnny and he gave Johnny the confidence to be him and to bring himself out. And the station, it was only partially funded by the school. 
so they needed to get donations. It was very expensive to run a station. You had those FAA, like FFA, FAA. FCC, FCC. Yeah, had licenses back then. <laughs> Too much Boeing influence around here. <laughs> yeah, they were expensive. And so they needed to throw a benefit concert, but they had barely any money. And so a lot of the bands, uh, local bands, would not agree. But uh, Johnny approached Gas Huffer, and they're like, cool take whatever and uh, <laughs> that concert brought in more money it was the seed money to to go on and build kgrg to where it got to be and so i always uh, I actually posted to gas offer and i i said thanks because you guys helped start kgrg i mean kgrg was there but if it wasn't for that concert um the visibility and the money like we wouldn't have had that that rocket launch to mm -hmm. where we're about to be. Emily, what do you remember about the benefit shows? I was only there for one or two of them because one year it got canceled that I was there. So and I had three years at KGRG. I just remember MXPX and I thought it was so cool. Here's this band that to me felt bigger than life, and I get to help kind of usher them into the studios and stuff like that. It just, and then watching that uh, student annex filled with people just having the time of their life. It's just one of my favorite concert memories of all time. Cause it was one of my first like real concerts that I also got to be a part of. It was so awesome. I, I mean, there was one, um, one bad memory I have, but it was actually a good memory in a way because that's when the brother Johnny came into the rescue. There was uh, still a lot of sexism in the industry with women. There's a lot of sexual harassment. And I know, Alicia and Alyssa, you experienced that with some of the bands, local bands we would hang out with, we were friends with, but we'd go around and we'd see their shows. And at their shows, you, you, in the mosh pit particularly, guys would try to take advantage and just think that they could whatever body part that was close. <laughs> And um, when Mud Honey played, they were really drunk and they violated the rules. These are all ages parties, no alcohol, strictly no alcohol was allowed. And Gas Huffer, they were cool with it, but Mud Honey, they were drunk. They, they were so demanding more alcohol. And Johnny's like, no, you guys cannot drink here. And um, what happened was Mark Arm was sitting down and he was yelling at me to get more beer and then he's like sit on my dick and then i'm like what the fuck he's like suck my dick bitch and so i went and i told johnny and johnny went out there and, and he was like i'm gonna fucking kick your ass <laughs> so shut the fuck up play your music and you know and it was just like um you know that type of solidarity is something that we don't get in um a lot of that, especially that young and being female is very confusing because here you are trying to um, assert yourself, trying to learn your own strength, find your own power. And yet you're faced with the impact of the local band that did have the power and visibility were all male. And then when bands like Seven Year Bitch came out, uh, uh, bikini kill the gets i mean well the gets were you know a mix but it was just such a powerful experience too just i think in terms of being a woman in in 
a small enough environment where we had a stronger voice and uh, Johnny was extremely um, supportive of that. So. I know it's, it's so weird when you look at the nineties and you see like, like if you look at pop culture, how misogynistic everything is like, I can't have my girls watch any movies from the nineties for the most part, because I can't stomach, okay. you know, cringy. and so like, cringy. Yeah, so cringy and just painful to like think that that's that was normal to us. But standing in the audience at Seven Year Bitch and screaming their lyrics and standing with a bunch of other women. And if some boy got out of line in the mosh pit, they were getting put down. You know, I mean, that like having physical power. Yeah. Having some physical power in a world where we don't often have that kind of physical, um, you know, like we're not stronger than most men for the most part. Women are generally not physically. And I think that that made an impact on me i mean it's so cool i'm so excited one of my friends in la is molly newman who was in bratmobile or still is and um i know we all played her on girl squad and i interviewed her on the idea fountain and i always talk about like how important the riot girl movement was to all of us but it's fun to hear other voices. So, you know, now I want to come to what's probably the most important part of this. Um, you know, I want to talk about John Shear. He was a gentle giant. And it's funny, my relationship with him, because you know, when you're a teenager, three, five years, even 10 years is astronomical in an age difference. And when I came to KGRG at such a young age, like just out of junior high, and he was already in his 20s, it's not like we ever were buddies and hung out, right? Because I was this little kid, but he always was like a father figure to me. And I I was saying after he passed, I mean, even still to this day, He was the one, you know, like a parent, every single time you post something on Instagram would be DMing me with hand claps and like smiley faces and so excited. And he was so proud of you. Oh my gosh. He talked about you all the time. It's so sweet. And I'm glad we got to have a really um, long catch up in the, in the last year. And um, it's crazy. When I started at the station, you mentioned John Ramsey was the professor, and then Toby, and then Tom Evans Krause, who stayed from 1994 to like this year. He wanted to send his love to John's family and note how John was the first person when the DJ moved from the trailer into the new building to do a shift. Uh, John Kasprick hit me with a note. He was the engineer since the beginning of time and still is, I think. And he said he'd been encouraging John to return to KGRG, but will always be there in spirit. And, and he showed up at the, the memorial recently on Wednesday. Oh, the, the so yeah. And uh, Jenny Lee of the X Daisies said the alternative past changed her life. Um. Emily, did you ever get to meet John or was he gone by the time you came on board? I didn't meet John, no. You so didn't. I'm excited to hear the legend. <laughs> the Alicia, Alyssa, what do you remember about John? Um, playing Jenga while smoking <laughs> sweets. We did that. That was, that was a bad that's, my, that's my favorite memory of John. That was a good memory because, I don't know, there was a lot of, like, John... I think he was, he did have a very, like, physically intimidating, you know, like. He was a big guy. Yeah. Not just that, but, like, I mean, like, you kind of would 
play oh, it yeah, like really you, straight. Yeah. yeah. You know, he wasn't like always cracking a smile or anything. You know what I no. mean? You know, like he just he had that intimidating physical presence. Like so. a bouncer. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I just I remember always being like kind of like a little bit in awe of him and like anytime that you got to like watch him work it was you know it was just like watching a legend right then and there even though he was not that much older than me and a razor sharp wit yeah like he was very clever yeah i mean once he opened his mouth you were like oh i totally (laughs) love this guy but i just do remember being like kind of intimidated by him especially at first um that was probably yeah Right before the Swisher Sweets, because mm-hmm. by that point we were all good buddies. He also had a very calming presence, though. Like yeah. he was always very like he was, you know, you 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 felt calm around him. He was very, yeah. yeah. Well, with you saying he's calm, like I think like one thing to help people understand, John was Native American, mm-hmm. and so he just had that grounded energy. And I never really got to know that side of him, but I know even recently, wasn't he working at Muckleshoot? And it seems like he really leaned into his culture and heritage. Linda, you were the closest to him. What, What do you want people to know? Such a strong activist. He's Pawnee, which is actually Plains Indians. And so we're mostly coastal Indians. We, I mean, like location. Um, but his grandfather was chief of the Pawnee and he was expected to sort of take that role, but he didn't want to. Um, his uncle was a medicine man and, and taught him a, a lot of things and some he shared, uh, but a lot is not intended for the white man. Um, but what, what he did tell me that I think that particular one is very poignant to share is that it's not that the white man didn't deserve it. It's that they would commercialize it. Right. So if they shared their spiritual um, beliefs, their traditions and their ceremonies and the magic white man wouldn't share it. Like it belongs to every single human. They would expect money. They would expect um, some sort of transaction for it. And um, that's why the, the the powwows he really uh, was skeptical of some of them because if you had to pay for entry they're supposed to be free and ask for a donation but um yeah he was half Pawnee and the Pawnee are their blood is thinning out his mother's full Pawnee and so uh, Johnny was sort of hit well it was that pressure it wasn't a outspoken thing but it was kind of thought that he should go back to Oklahoma and take over and, and reform because it's it's not a, a very uh successful um setup right now they don't have a lot of money like some tribes do and being in the location they are it's hard because here there's more opportunity there's more uh, diversity in populations but that he was a huge activist and um we talked about that a lot and he's so proud his grandfather was actually a professor at uw and um he uh met the president of netherlands i think and uh, he was 
with a lot of celebrities. His grandfather was extremely well known and he was actually approached to play the part of the chief in Little Big Man, but he refused it because he didn't like the way the Pawnee were represented in that movie. So it went to somebody else. Um, Johnny's cousin is actually an actress and she played part in Northern Exposure, which I never saw, but um, they were pretty close. And as far as I know, maybe not, I mean, close as anybody can be in, in these days, things are pretty watered down overall, I think with technology. I don't know. It's ironic. We're kind of closer, but still distant. Well I love that messages can spread far and wide, right? Like sharing his memory. And I'm curious because um, you mentioned that he was such an activist. If somebody wanted to do something in his honor or like as a tribute to all he did for KGRG, is there anywhere that people can support or donate that you recommend? Oh, that's a good question. Um... Probably um, to the Pawnee. Uh, they put him on the phrase page about, you know, the, his passing and they are going to raise their flag at half mass for him. And so he's known there. And I think that would be very meaningful to him. Yet there are other things that he really believed in too. Uh, I mean, I'll have to think about that a bit. Um, that's the first thing that comes to mind, but maybe because we were talking about it. That's a really, really good question. Um, but that's what first comes to mind. Okay, I have one more question for everybody in honor of John and the spirit of KGRG. There are so many young creatives that are part of the Idea Fountain community. And, you know, sometimes it's challenging because the definition of success in 22, 2022 is so tied to how many followers you might have on TikTok or things like that. But because we came from the sacred place of community and creativity and, you know, just doing things for the right reason and purpose, what would you like to pass on either like in John Shear's honor, like a message of support or advice or anything you learned since everybody that is still on this call are industry veterans. I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start with Emily because I think she has to jump off too. I would just say, always remember no one can do you better than you. So if you have something you're passionate about and believe in, don't let that falter. There are so many voices out there that will just want to cut you down. But if you believe in yourself, just pursue it, you can do it. And that's a lot of what I learned at KGRG being that young in and having these older people that I was so in awe of, but yet intimidated by. And that pivotal moment that I was talking about earlier when they found my notebook and made fun of that. And I was like, but you know what? There was stuff in there worthy of them using on the air. So I'm doing something right. And stick with it. And, you know, it's turned into a 25 year career. So uh, no one does you better than you and find mentors, which is what Julie has been for me uh, since I was like 13. And I'm just so grateful for you. That hazing made us stronger and who we are. I'll <laughs> never forget 
because <gasps> you all know I was interning at Cube, the hip hop station in Seattle as a munchkin and then at KGRG and everybody at Cube had radio names like <laughs> Eric Powers, Shelly Hart, Greg Valentine. And I remember I walked into the KGRG trailer and everybody that was there in that moment kind of looked like they should be in Soundgarden, you know, <laughs> like long hair, ripped jeans. And I was this like 14, 15 year old little blonde junior high kid and I walked in probably with my notebook and said, hey guys, I'm gonna have my first shift today. What do you think my radio name should be? And they were like, your radio name? What do you mean? You think someone's gonna listen to your show? What, are you gonna have fans? What, maybe a stalker? Like your radio name? And who do you think you are? And I was like, all right, Julie Pilot it is, and thank God. It's like, you <laughs> never changed my name in the music business. Yeah, <laughs> I got so hazed. <laughs> but you were so different too. And I mean, you added to that diversity and that's what was amazing. And that's the thing, we were all authentic and that's what was powerful. And um, I guess not to jump in, but I think that's maybe one of the things to also encourage people is never, Never, never be afraid of your own authenticity. Alicia, Alyssa? I think like that's, uh, you know, like on the internet, I see so many people trying really hard and it doesn't, it's not authentic and it's kind of painful to see people behave in that way, <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah. I would say try and find a community, but not an yeah. online community more a local community <laughs> i guess for people that are looking to be creative and things like that yeah I mean, that is a good that's, idea yeah like, like support the, yeah i mean there are art collectives all around the country and we're in reno nevada by the way but um i don't think we said that earlier did no. we <clears throat> no um so yeah um and even here in the small town yeah I mean, even here so we have you know support. we have yeah art collectives and you know it it even if you know your family's not that great, you still have a, a second family, yeah. you know, someplace else that you can lean on and support. And that's what I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think being with your people does help, like build yeah. that creativity and like yeah, help you build connections in the world. And I think that's a good recipe for success. Yeah, I mean, we're and not in the music industry now, but I mean, we learned a lot of stuff. <laughs> What I might want to say what I think Johnny would say for advice to people is that um, don't take things at face value. Do your research. Look to the source. And same with music. Going to the source. Every band copies another band like Nirvana or not copies. Um, learns, like, for example, Nirvana and the killing joke. Right. Um, what like the 80s song, The Killing Joke and um, just the bands from the 60s. And there are so many. It's a goldmine and people don't know because they rely on like the music industry. They let rely on. I don't even know who's influential in the music scene these days, but they rely on what people tell them is cool. And it's it started way beyond there. You know, there's so much more out there that would freaking blow your minds and it's <laughs> worth digging through. Yeah. yeah. I know I love that when I hear something and it like reminds me of some uh, song that I know from my past and I just like I have to play it for the girls because I'm like, oh, look at this. This is just like so connected to this music. And they're like, 
<laughs> you know, but it's just like, it's kind of neat to like, and I, we were reading some like music on Apple music, like the liner notes and they were like talking about all, or they listed all of these different influences for this one song. And it was like pretty incredible to see how interconnected it all is. Okay. That's so. awesome. And I mean, I would say mine is like, make sure to acknowledge and appreciate people while they're here right you know we all have such a rich history and again i'm so thankful that i just didn't dm john back and forth in the last six months that we had a really good conversation because community does matter and i know especially when you're working full-time and pulled in so many directions it's easiest to constantly feel like you need to respond to the last email you got, right? But if you dig in, there's so many people that have been a part of your life in a meaningful way that um, really matter. And it's like, you know, somebody told me when I was getting into music, there are smart people in the music business and good, nice people. There's not that many people that are good and smart. So if you find them, keep them close to you. So I would say like, if you're just starting out in music, find your people and work quadruple overtime to keep them a part of their life of your life. So I really appreciate all of you being a part of my life and um, the KGRG legacy. And thanks for taking an hour out of a Saturday to hang out on the IDF mountain. Hopefully this will be the spark that brings Celine Vigil and Kathleen Hanna on the show. <laughs> They're not checking for me. <laughs> They did have a lot of name drops. I mean, come on. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's, they probably don't give a shit. <laughs> that's cool, too. Yeah, that's punk rock. Yeah, that's <laughs> Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much for um, honoring Johnny in this way. It would mean so much to him. Well, um, it is my pleasure. Uh, and it, whenever horrible, horrible... And, you know, unimaginable things happen instead of just sitting in the space of sadness. I'm an activator. And so the only thing I think could think to do was get everybody together and pay tribute to them. So thanks again. I love Thank you guys. You. Thank, Thank you. you. Love you guys. Thank you.